So now I figure you've got a set of questions you're gonna ask me. I'm, I'm coming into the super blind. For the past two interviews, I have had, well actually not the past two, but for the first one, I have written down questions, but I didn't bring my things with me today, and I just didn't think it would be cool to interview till like right now. So this is totally unprepared. Yeah. But we are recording already. Oh, okay. So, so far this is an interview of me. Yeah. No. No, I came into this unprepared because I am not a professional podcaster. But I am Garrett Hernandez. Welcome to the Heave 2 Podcast. <laughs> this is my good friend, Charlie Black. He's been a Merchant Mariner for how many years now, Charlie? Uh, I'm on my second set of credentials, so it's been six years, six and a half, about. Yeah, you have to be yeah. coming up on about that much, because I'm coming up on five. Yeah, yeah, so... It took me a little bit to get my first shipping gig, but once I did, I've been pretty steady since then. How long did you have to haul sit for your first job? Uh, I sat in the hall for a long time. I was pretty dedicated. Um, so I started off in the New York hall. I got a short job out of there. I was working, I worked shoreside with uh, um, doing a uh, steam um, auditing gig. So I was, I was checking steam traps in hospitals for a month. And then I moved to California and started sitting in the Oakland Hall. I did a lot of day work. I missed did some jobs. Did you hear there were more jobs in California? Is that why you moved out? Mm, expense. It was time to get out of New York City. Mm -hmm. It was like uh, Andrea, my my girlfriend at the time wife now wanted to uh wanted to move back to california where she was from so it was kind of a multitude of things brought us back to the bay i think we talked a lot about a lot of stuff real quick it's rare that somebody moves to the bay for expenses yeah well we were living in new york city yeah which where, is one of the few places yeah 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 we, you're talking about a a two-bedroom apartment and not a great part of town that's three thousand dollars a month it looks like the blues brothers apartment it was like the train going by yeah pretty yeah. much <laughs> yeah. but we did cover a lot of stuff real quick for instance a lot of people probably don't know what hall sitting is and they probably also don't understand that we're both good union men part of the marine engineers beneficial association I worked with Charlie, I should say, for uh, a couple of years on the Pride of America. It's a cruise ship. I was a third. Charlie was also a third when I first started, but immediately became a second. Um, it's a very linear command structure, I should say. But as far as the Marine Engineers Beneficial Association, you know, how come you decided to join a union instead of going straight into, like, like direct non-union work? Uh, reputation that the unions had and uh, kind of... The little bit of history you learn about the maritime industry when you're in school, really, it's, it becomes pretty clear pretty quick that uh, if you know the term shanghaiing, which is uh, when you get stuck on a ship without a relief, it's something that still happens and it is pretty prevalent in non-union work. Do you mind moving your mic a little bit more down your collar? Yeah. So like maybe in the center of your throat? Yeah. Sorry people, technical difficulties real quick. But I will in the meantime describe. Um, so I didn't know that that was prevalent in the non-union thing. Uh, but second of all, we're in the Marine Engineers Beneficial Association, like I said before. And when I was first interviewing Charlie, I asked him, 
well, how long do you sit for the job? We were talking about sitting in the hall. The way our union works is you have to sit in the hall, you wait, you throw your card in for every job, and well, when you're new for every job, and they start calling from order of seniority. When you're on the bottom of the list, you're on the bottom of the list, your name might not be called. It's a very seniority ranked system. So when people first enter the industry, if it's during a cold spell, it'll be hard to get on the first ship, which is what Charlie was doing when he came yeah. to Oakland. I, I joined in a pretty bad cold spell. Mm-hmm. So I sat, after that first month long job, I did day work in the Oakland Hall from probably, I think it was April, April or May until November. I was doing day work on and off and I I had one 14 day shipping job in the middle of that. I brought a, uh, it's actually a pretty interesting ship, it's the Admiral Callahan, it's the first large gas turbine ship. The U.S. Navy commissioned a ship to test um, the viability of using gas turbines as main propulsion. And it had two different uh, propulsion units, a Westinghouse, uh, I think it's like a GF4 maybe, and the turbine everybody knows, which is the LM2500 GE propulsion turbine, which is the one that was selected. Oh, so they had two separate turbines on board. Yeah, not when I was, not when I was sailing on it. They had, they had the 001 serial number LM2500 propulsion turbine, and Mm -hmm. then like the, like 350th propulsion turbine that GE made for the Navy. Was it still an LM20? Yeah. So now it's got a pair of twins. Right? Yeah, it has yeah. a pair of twin LM2500 gas turbines. So. And the the latest, I think there is a new, finally a new iteration of these turbines, but the Queen Mary II, mm-hmm. which had gas turbines on it, had the LM2500 plus variant of the gas turbine. Is it just a bigger one? Like plus uh, extra rotors? I don't, I'm not entirely sure about the specifics. All I know is it makes more power. (laughs) And by more power, these things, these gas turbines are tiny and chug fuel and make just absurd amounts of energy. Well, what what I think is crazy is that, um, I want to say the Admiral Callahan is still in service. Yeah, still over in Alameda. Yep. Yep. It was built in sometime in the 60s. It has the same hull type as the uh, El Faro, which if anyone doesn't know that, you can do a quick internet search. It's rather tragic uh, maritime disaster in recent history. Um, And uh, yeah, that, that was my first sailing gig down the coast. Then I sat in the hull some more after that until I got the Pride of America job. Does it? And that is similar to how I got the Pride of America job, but um, the Admiral Callahan you said had the same hull as the El Faro. The you know the old Matsonia had the same engine room as the El Faro. Was the hull design similar from the deck down, or? Um, I'm not entirely sure on that one. All I know That's is okay. that the, the Coast Guard. We were, we were coming out of Vigor Shipyard in Portland, Oregon to sail it down 
to uh, back to its birth in uh, Alameda, California. <clears throat> and the um, Coast Guard was extremely concerned about the condition of the ship, the, both the Coast Guard and ABS. So they, they were going over th everything with a fine tooth comb to ensure that the ship was still in good condition. Had they finished the report on the El Faro at that point? Oh, geez. This was... This would have been 2016 in uh, September. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe the report had just come out, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, that makes sense. Because um, if they're going through the ship, it, it sounds like they don't necessarily know what's going on. Yeah. You know? Um, but the El Faro, for people who don't know, that's a crazy one. Because I know it sounds dumb, because most people will have heard about the Titanic. And they were like, oh, people thought the Titanic was unsinkable. But, you know, I think for American mariners or merchant mariners in general we hadn't necessarily come to think of our ships as unsinkable just a highly unlikely to sink and if they do the crew would be fine because that's the extra detail that's messed up is that nobody made it out alive on the el faro yeah and what's super crazy if any of you are out there are interested i don't think there's a documentary on it yet which is too bad there there are some very short like tv little tv shows mm -hmm. about it but and, and like the conclusion of the report was that it was what was it entirely the fault of I, I don't know. Well, they said the the original reason why they started taking on water in, in I mean, addition they to sailing into a hurricane, a category five hurricane in a ship from what that I mean the ship was from the sixties, right? Was their deck their deck hatches were compromised? Like somebody left a hatch open. I don't know the actual um, or it blew which open. hatch, but well, they're saying that like somebody left multiple hatches open from. They think it was, I wouldn't say a longshore. Some whoever in the port is responsible to loading something. They left some hatches open, which is why they started taking on water. Which probably wouldn't have even mattered if water wasn't coming in from strange angles due to the hurricane. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but the reason they were in a hurricane is the captain decided to try and make time so that, you know, the company likes to tell people like, oh, well, we didn't pressure yeah. our sailors to do this. We didn't tell them to. But he but had been like, written up for not, for not sailing because of dangerous weather conditions previously. I didn't know he had been written up for it because that's a little bit more aggressive. I was going to talk about he, like soft pressure to do dangerous he, yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't exists. know if he got. There were mm -hmm. repercussions for things he had done previously mm -hmm. in weather conditions. The company we are talking about is Tote Marine Services, just so everyone knows. I think everything we've said right now is totally factual, or we said when it was speculation. But yeah. um, I mean, there there is a ton of speculation surrounding the El Faro. Yeah, the El Faro disaster. There's. I will tell you, shipping in general, there is like a lot of soft pressure to do things quickly on the sake of the company. A lot of guys who work and don't write in overtime get promoted. Those are not good union members. Yeah. Your union ancestors would be frowning upon you. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. 
Um, which also leads me to believe, and this is a strong, our podcast has a strong, strong opinion against deckies. They're just really horrible, mean, unintelligent. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Except if you're a deckie listening to this podcast, then clearly I don't mean you. But um, a lot of ships have sunk because of the deck department. This is a common occurrence. The El Faro, Costa Concordia. That was a cruise ship captain who... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could go on for days and days about the Costa Concordia. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you. I've read a bunch of reports about it just because I worked on a... We, worked on a cruise ship for five years we did work on a cruise ship for five years which i think is a good way to tie this back together is because the costa concordia uh basically sank because the captain had some dancers on the bridge and he was like oh look at the shoreline it's so great and he's like third mate whack get closer to the shore third mate's like hi hi captain well they hit the shore (laughs) and then the ship sinks is the is the very short version of the story so you would think that being a cruise ship captain in the years following the Costa Concordia, you wouldn't do things like have dancers on the bridge, right? That would be strange. Yeah, that would, that, that would probably be a, a poor decision. Yes. Which is what is interesting. Particularly is <laughs> if you're sailing along the coast, a very rocky coast in rough seas mm-hmm. around a remote island, maybe in Hawaii. <laughs> We're chuckling because this is what the captain of our cruise ship used to do. I don't know if I have to say allegedly. Is it a fact? This is a fact. It happened. I know his wife was on the bridge um, while they were sailing around the Nepali coast. Yeah. Yeah. The point is, like, deckies have continued to make poor decisions about this sort of thing. Not all deckies. Some deckies. About that particular thing, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Some deckies. The, um... So yeah, Charlie and I used to work on a cruise ship together. I got the job very similarly. I was waiting around in the union hall, and then I applied to be in this job, and they said, okay, go head out there to the cruise ship, which was some silly times. Then Charlie and I worked together for close to two years. I joined after him and then left slightly before him. We both got stuck on board during COVID. That was fun times. that That was an experience. It was an experience. You have to understand, people thought COVID was like, the end of the world. Yeah, going to kill you for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And we were in Hawaii on a cruise ship. And it went in a two-week period. It went to having passengers on board to a state order against the ship that nobody could get off. Like, confined to the ship by law. Yeah, it wasn't and like then, nice quarantine. It no, was like it was super it was, quarantine. It was it was, it was, it was like, quarantine. If you, try and get off, you will yeah. be arrested. Oh yeah. yeah, they arrested one guy. Well, people would get fired, and then the cops would take them to the to the airport. Oh, is that where they were taking them? I don't, I don't know where the hell they were taking them. Oh, well, there some mysterious place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which we did not know at the time. I assumed it was jail, but yeah. There was there was a lot of shady things that happened in about a one month period on that ship. Well, Jeff and I were looking at the emergency descent units on Jeff Six or Jeff Six Deck Six. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Six. I mean, you could have called that deck Jeff Six, considering he walked around it so many times. Yeah. Shout out to Jeff if he's out there. Yeah. I think he's. I don't. I don't. Off the internet. <laughs> yeah, I think he is fully off the internet. Off the grid, but um. 
Yeah, no, that was crazy because, well, what I thought was, I don't know if you remember this detail, The so we used to, our cruise ship used to go around the Hawaiian Islands for the listeners out there, and we were a week-long cruise, so we would pick people up on Honolulu, we'd take you to um, Kahului and Kona, and uh, in the end, Nawili Willy, which is on Kauai, and the Diamond Princess, you remember this detail, Charlie? No, no. The Diamond Princess had pulled into port the day before us. And so they, but the Diamond Princess was going from Hawaii back to the U.S. mainland. Oh, they were the COVID ship, weren't yes, they? Yes, that was the COVID ship. They were taking stores. They let their passengers off into Willy Willy. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so the COVID ship, the one that you guys might have seen on the news, they let their passengers go party into Willy Willy. And there's like three bars there, you know. And so they leave. And the next day, our ship pulls in, and we let all our passengers party into Willy Willy. Okay, but the next day, we and drop crew. our... Passengers Passengers and crew. And crew. Yeah, good. Yeah. Good point. So the next day, we drop the passengers off, not the crew, in Honolulu, and they all get flights home. So we get the next group of passengers on, and then we start seeing all these news stories from the Diamond Princess, who we figure out was in port right before us. So we know that, okay, this ship's got COVID, and also our ship probably also has COVID. And at that point, all the engineers were like sanitizing everything. Everybody was wearing masks. We were trying like our best. While the rest of the ship was ignoring what was going on. Well, that was like, (laughs) they decided to do like code red because the ships actually had some sort of for for GI yeah for which GI is, uh, what, gastrointestinal yeah, disease yeah because cruise ships had previously had issues where like everybody on board gets diarrhea yeah horrible experience well di- diarrhea and puking at yeah. the same time yeah it's pretty bad <laughs> cruise ships are gross don't eat it don't eat it at the buffet moral of the story yeah if the um, yes that is that is a good moral. There's a lot we can say about cruise ships, but for what we're saying right now is they had security procedures in place in case some sort of disease gets out on the ship. So they start implementing these procedures. And I wrote, well, I was seeing the captain's secretary at the time, Harley, and she got mad at me for this because she didn't know it was me at first, but she was saying, somebody wrote this and like the crew, because they had like the crew feedback box. And so I was like, we're supposed to be in code red, locked down from an emergency virus and there's been a booger on the time clock for the past 24 hours (laughs) (laughs) i never from the start of the pandemic i never used a time clock again from the start of the pandemic when when scott was like yeah we don't don't use the time clocks anymore i refused to use one because they weren't sanitizing them every eight hours even even after like even after we were locked up and isolated for months on end as aforementioned boogers (laughs) which you think would be easy like if you can't get a booger you're clearly not going to get a microscopic virus yeah but um for what it's worth watch got really easy after that point we're just sitting in there with one running generator like for months yeah yeah work got exceptionally boring there was no overtime no but everybody got two free beers a day as part of your rations because they were expiring oh yeah that's right Mm -hmm. i forgot about that part things went kind of downhill after they got rid of the two free beers and stopped selling alcohol at all well i heard somebody like what did you hear 
was the reason they stopped. Uh, I think the actual, well, uh, I don't know. I thought the actual reason was that the the company let the liquor license expire because they weren't going to renew it. I heard somebody <laughs> fucked up. Like, they just, well, you're rationed two free beers a day, and you're supposed to take them straight back to your room. So somebody just hoarded beers for a week or two and then just got super messed up on a weekend. And they were like, okay, we got to stop this stop this yeah yeah maybe maybe that should be a sign to you that like i don't know the crew's losing their shit well at least we were the seconds working because i know the thirds were doing watch but the seconds weren't we still had 56 eight hours of labor a week damn i didn't think the engine room was actually working at the time i thought maintenance had I slowed rebuilt... to a crawl I rebuilt the entire... I mean, I was losing... I I had to be doing something. I'm one of those people that just can't, like... You've worked with me enough. <laughs> I can't sit around and do nothing. But I rebuilt the entirety of the freshwater generator that wasn't working. Oh, the right. The 50-ton? The yeah. forward 50-ton that probably still has never run because I was like, I need, I need an ejector pump. And they were like, oh, funny, Charlie, you're not getting that. And I was like, I need an injector pump. Please give me an injector pump so I can run this thing. Yeah. I had a new plate stack in there, and I had gotten the old distillate pump working. I needed a couple sections of pipe, too. But Well, I don't think people were very intelligent about the way the budget was working over there. Because, like, if you could just do a little bit of money in parts, you could save a lot of time in labor, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the story of companies. The story of companies. We could probably talk about that cruise ship for like five episodes of your podcast. Yeah. No, I was thinking about this. We were just, we got into like the COVID. We haven't even gotten to like the The missile crisis. The regular. I was just talking about the missile crisis yesterday. I wasn't there for the missile crisis. Were you there? I was there. I was there. That is is a great story. That is an episode by itself. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about the missile crisis. That's a good one. Oh, no. I mean, (laughs) geez. If you like, there's never been a moment in my life where I was like, well, I might be dead in 15 minutes. Like that was, that was the level of the message we got. And so we're, we are, I remember this distinctly. It is. Can can we give like a little bit of context about what actually like before, beforehand? Let me, let me just give the news story headline. There was a day in Hawaii when Charlie was working on the ship that all the citizens of Hawaii got a text message that said something along the lines of a missile attack imminent, take shelter, this is not a drill. Yeah. And you can look this up in the news. You can look up like Hawaii missile scare. Yeah. And, and you'll find so many articles about it. This this was at the height of like North the North Koreans like testing missiles and they, they suddenly started working. Like they they broke the threshold where U.S. analysis was like, oh, they can't really get a missile to the U.S. mainland to, like, hey, guys, these these guys actually figured out how to make a rocket work, and they can launch intercontinental ballistic missiles and hit hit the mainland. So this is within the first, like, three months of that being a realization for the entirety of the U.S. public. And we're sitting at muster at 8 a.m., 
and, and I'm in I've Honolulu? got my phone yeah in Honolulu. Honolulu it was a Saturday morning it is 8 a.m. and I get the the amber alert sound on my phone which and so I pop it out I was a third engineer at the time and the staff chief's like uh, this is staff chief Garrett cool staff chief Pretty cool guy. It was a cool staff. Yeah, but he's like, we're not supposed to have our phones out at work. Makes sense. Rational. He's like, uh, put your phone away, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, my jaw just drops because I read the Amber Alert on my phone and it says, ballistic missile inbound. Seek shelter immediately. This is not a drill. This is not a drill. And then, like, the same message was repeated again and like just instantly everything turns on a dime (laughs) like and there there were two responses i noted either people just went directly back to their room and were like well i guess i'm gonna call my family or the 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 other response was I'm going to do everything in my power to get this ship the fuck out of Honolulu Bay, which is where this missile is probably aimed at. If there is, I mean, there's a giant naval base right there. Yeah. I mean, it said not a drill too. Yeah. So it said, this is not a drill. And I was like, yo, get the propulsion on, get all the hatches shut, get the pad, like fuck the passengers just, punch it out of the harbor and i think the entirety of the engine crew was on board with that plan and the ship uh, was well prepared to do it oh like we, the, the style we had, the we had yeah. five engines on in like two minutes mm-hmm. and i i was just like because there were only a couple of people with the key to close hatches and Lindsay, chief Lindsay is coming one way down 66 with Scott Haynes, the first engineer. And they're just sprinting towards the engine room. And I see them sprinting and I'm like, well, if the chief's running, I guess I'm running too. So I am sprinting forward to go close hatches. And then I spent a couple of minutes closing hatches. And then I went and sat in the control room with all of our, like, the wind the windows that are almost at the waterline have hatches so we'd buttoned all those down and closed them up and we're just like waiting for word to what to do next and we waited like that for 45 minutes before because before we got word that like okay don't worry about it because everything immediately jammed up, all all lines of communication. There was no cell service right away. There was like, um, the the navy and the coast guard were gone already. Like that alert went out, and they left. They dropped lines and were gone in minutes, like full tilt out of the harbor. All the jets were punching out, just getting the hell out of Honolulu. <laughs> and, and why didn't the cruise ship follow suit and get out of Honolulu? Because uh, the the captain said that 
he was going to wait for direction from the Coast Guard, who was not responding. Yeah, I, I understand. You, If there's a nuclear attack incoming, it's, it's nice to ask permission to leave the harbor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they wanted to, and this isn't isn't even a complicated departure for us. In Honolulu Bay, we could literally, um, we pulled straight in to the harbor, docked at Terminal 2, and could have quite literally pushed off with our three bow thrusters and gone astern and gone directly out of the harbor. And all of the mates, well, not all of the mates, but the... Let's see. These the, are the people I previously referred to as deckies. Yeah. Deckies, mates, synonymous. Yeah. Continue. The captain and the chief mate and the nav officer all have their Hawaiian pilotage. So, like, they're completely have the ability to depart on their own. But we didn't move. It was kind of scary. I'm glad nothing bad happened. (laughs) (laughs) There there are a few moments I remember in my life as distinctly as that one. That was was pretty rough. Yeah, it's really messed up. Uh, Yeah, it was pretty messed up. (laughs) Yeah, you shouldn't need to ask permission to leave the harbor in the event of a nuclear attack. But, you know, that captain's still there. Still being a captain. Yeah. He's a company boy. Company boy. Yeah. Yeah. He's a union member too, which is fucked up. Can't be a company boy and a union member. No, yeah. I don't really want to call those people. Some people forget, the port engineers, for example, they forget that they're fucking union members and they start... So Keystone, Mm -hmm. well, this is getting into personal life stuff, but Keystone's guys are not, for your note. That's good. They are not union members. They are Keystone oh. employees. I thought you mean they're not company boys. I wouldn't exactly call them company boys either. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's interesting. They're not union members, and they're not company boys. Well, the Matson guys are allegedly union members. I mean, they are dues-paying union members, but they fucking forget it. They forget it, I don't like those guys for it. The um, But yeah, so that's just one of many, many stories. Charlie Black is a fountain of stories. We haven't even gotten to his most fun job on board yet. Oh, that job? Yeah. Yeah, you're referring to that job. Yeah, Charlie is the environmental engineer, which means he's in charge of... All of the sewage. <laughs> All of the sewage, among other things. I wasn't just in charge of the sewage, but... I was also in charge of potable water and bilge water, but those are kind of minor in comparison to the amount of work that a um, sewage treatment plant for uh, 2,800 passengers and 900 crew members uh, required, which was a lot of attention. Were you there for that story when Jeff found the thing in the pipe? Oh no, because Jeff was the environmental engineer. Yeah, on that. One. I, I mean, I've heard I heard that story so many times, though. Yeah, that thing in the pipe. I mean, I found some things in pipes too. But what things have you found? Well, in pipes? nothing as ex- exciting as what Jeff found. But mm-hmm. I found uh, there was a a rubber ball went through my jet pump. Oh no! Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, it didn't go through the jets pump. It destroyed the jet pump. Well, that's, the jets I, pump tried to eat it. I rebuilt one of those things with Mike McCann, and we were looking at the parts list. The one of those one jets pumps the knew one? the big one. One of those yeah. big ones new, if you want like the whole pump, is $50,000. That's more expensive than a brand new Ford Bronco. Yeah. Or a brand new Mustang. Yeah. 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 They're incredibly expensive pumps. But I mean, because they're got... supposed to eat things like, well, like anything you would normally put down a toilet and then some, but occasionally there's a match. Yeah. 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 They did not like rubber objects. Rubber objects, they could not macerate. But normal human. Normal human waste, they demolished, shredded, vaporized. I don't know what terms you want to use. They, those were cool pumps, so they were a bitch to work on. Yeah, because Mike was like, oh yeah, just like wipe away the tampedos. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, not even from the perspective of how gross they were to work on, but the, the, um, the construction of them was... they were particularly difficult to reassemble. Mm. Yeah. I don't remember how difficult things are. I think I just remember how pissed off people were or were not in the process. And I think Mike had done it a couple times, so he was just like, yeah. 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 Good old Mike McCann. That was, that was a fun one. I heard something happened. Isn't there a reason why you shouldn't use bleach around sewage? Yeah, yeah, it makes, it makes mustard gas. Oh, you would think, because most people, if, you know, their child had an accident on the floor, it might go for bleach or something like that. Which, which is, is fine. safe in those quantities. But yes. when you're dealing with a few thousand pounds of turds and you put a gallon of bleach into that, you suddenly make a cloud of mustard gas. Because of the ammonia? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's chlorine and ammonia interacting. <laughs> I did have this issue with, uh, on my boat, I had an issue with the sewage back. Uh, flowing through the toilet and there was some water in the bilge and I had a guess I was like that's an odd color and it didn't smell nice so I poured bleach in it and it just like immediately started bubbling and bubbling yeah. and I was like oh <laughs> confirmed sewage I'm gonna close the door to this compartment <laughs> and walk away yeah 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 that was an interesting job worked on some kind of cool stuff Again, that's like, I, I could probably talk about that for an hour or two. Well, I mean, we can tell the, the Jeff story. With with the, the thing. Oh, okay. Can I try, can I tell the story and you can correct it as I get it yeah. wrong? Because I've probably yeah. heard it like third or three hands. And like, try and get them like pointing towards you. If you can. Like, oh. I'm sorry. I got to get better at setting these things up. But don't worry about it too much. The um, So... Basically, is that maybe I don't know. Try talking a bit. Is that better? Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. So the um, Pride of America. If you if you were to personally take a cruise, you would probably want your toilet to work. In fact, I know you would. And then it would probably be particularly disastrous if maybe like a third of all toilets on board didn't work. Do I have this part right so far? Yeah. Yeah. So after. Our cruise was a week-long cruise, and this situation lasted for more than a week, correct so far? Um, I don't know if it was more than a week, but it was it was long enough that people were pretty upset. People like the vice president of the company? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, toilets are down for two days on a ship. The vice president of a cruise company knows about it. And he's emailing the chief engineer, so he demands 
that you fix this problem. So from my understanding, everybody on board who could turn a wrench was disassembling sewage pipes and trying to find whatever it was clogging this thing. At which point, Jeff, great stand-up guy, opens up a pipe <laughs> and he says, oh, chief, he calls the chief, you gotta come see this. And the chief shows up and what Jeff had pulled out of the pipe was about a foot long rubber purple set of anal beads. <laughs> and Chief looks at the at the at the object and he goes, Oh, I, I gotta go get the camera. So he goes all the way back down, comes all the way back up with the official ship camera and takes a picture of Jeff holding it like a fish. And <laughs> his hand and his arm is covered in what was in the sewage pipe and like holding this set of anal beads. <laughs> and the chief Cullen, great guy, great guy, can't say enough about that guy. He takes a picture of Jeff and then sends it in the email that includes the vice president of the company and says, we found the problem. And nobody responded. That was the end of it. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much what I heard. I, I think it may have ended up finally in a jet's pump at some point. But mm. yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of how I ended up getting a bunch of parts for those jet's pumps is that it was like, well, can't fix it. Can't fix jet pump without these parts. So it, the system's down till I get the parts, and I got a few hundred thousand dollars in uh, jets pumps parts air freighted to me. That's pretty fast. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. There were there were no questions asked. The um. Man, so sewage systems on the ship aside, well, actually, not aside, if any of you are going to take a cruise, it's very important that you realize you should only put whatever comes out of you and toilet paper down the toilets. It's very important. A lot of people try and sneak in wet wipes or something else, but no, it is super, super important because somebody will have to open up the line and figure out what's going on. And when they do that, a whole bunch of Toilets are going to stop working at the time. Probably, and most importantly, yours. So please, for the love of God, <laughs> do not bring toilet paper onto cruise ships. Just use the stuff provided. You can double it up. That's fine. It's fine to double it up if you need to. Just use what's provided for this purpose. It'll make people's jobs easier, like poor Charlie here. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I pulled some disgusting stuff out of sewage lines. The um, banana shoved in a candy wrapper <laughs> that caused some havoc. <laughs> well, that's just somebody trying to cause a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disgruntled the... crew members. Oh, you think it was crew members? Well, I mean, one of the the a pretty frequent random object I would find is they they made everybody wear these stupid little like NCL freedom pins or something i don't i don't know there's just some stupid ad gimmick that they were doing mm -hmm. but um they would cruise the employees of the cruise ship would flush these things down the toilet and i would end up finding them in the jets pumps they're just these little pins mm. but yeah crew members were a constant problem well the crew members most crew members on cruise ships, what you must understand is like, Charlie and I were engineers, officers technically. We were working 74 to 80 hours every week. 
like really, really hard. And for some of us who were on split shifts, we only had seven hours between each of our shifts or seven and a half. So the most amount you could sleep if you got off work and then immediately passed out was seven and a half hours of sleep. That you do that for four months straight is pretty rough without a single day off. You could get a day off. Karina was the one who figured it out on the day that the thirds changed schedule. Mm -hmm. If you got somebody to switch with you. Scott Haynes one time, he let me do that. Karina's move. Um, he... I went to him and I was like, hey, Scott, I want to switch watches with this person. And he goes, James just tried to do this and I denied it. (laughs) 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 And he's like, why did I deny James's request? I was like, because he was going to go party. Scott's like, that's right. So, Garrett, if I approve this, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to go ashore. I'm going to have a beer. I'm going to watch the new Spider-Man movie. I'm going to go to bed for 11 hours and he goes approved (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what happened to that kid James yeah he's got a wife and a kid too now yeah that that part doesn't surprise me is he shipping I think he's also doing ROS like us oh really just over in Galveston yeah well that's Scott is not shipping though no, Scott Scott should not ship. He is I was trying to get him to do ROS in San Francisco. <laughs> I don't think you could get him to move to San Francisco. But I maybe don't know. We can get him to come to Portland. Uh if he hasn't been talking to Jeff too much, maybe. <laughs> Scott is one of my favorite firsts I've worked for. He's very he was very prone to yelling, which sounds like I really don't like guys who yell. I really have it out with him. But you knew, always knew he wasn't yelling at you. And he would go to the mat for you against oh, the deck department. Oh, jeez. He'd go to the bat for everybody. Yeah. He was, he, was, he was good about that. And he would immediately apologize for yelling. And he's like, I'm not mad at you guys. He's still yelling, but he'd go, I'm not mad at you guys. I'm just angry. And we'd be all like, oh, we know, Scott. It's okay, buddy. He, he was a great first. The um, One of the times, I guess I'll tell the time about the pool alarms. He likes that story. I like that story. The, um, so alarms. we got alarms in the engine room for the pools. And you have to understand, like, as a watchstander, that was my job. I would get an alarm every two minutes. And these alarms range in severity of something I could just press a button and the alarm would turn off to like, I need to call four people because something bad is going to happen right, right now. And it's really important to be able to be able to tell the difference between those two things on a moment's notice. So you would think that it's very important for the person standing watch in the engine room to not have unnecessary tasks like filling out logs in the bathroom or what temperature the refrigerator is, but I'll digress. The, um, or I won't digress. One of these tasks that was unnecessary is the pool alarms. Whenever the pools would slosh, we would get low and high level alarms or the chlorine was off or something like that. But it's not even like I got that alarm. I just knew a pool, not even which pool, just a pool was going off. And then it was my job to call the bridge and then the bridge would call their pool guy and he would go out and fix the problem on the pool. Then the pool guy would talk to the bridge the bridge would call me and tell me it's solved until the next pool alarm. But the, um, the issue is this, is that you might think it's better for the alarm to go straight to the bridge 
and not through me. Like if only the system had been designed so that the people in charge of the pools got the alarm about the pools. Well, it turns out that's how the system was designed in the first place. They just changed it so that the engineers got all the pool alarms because they were annoying. Regardless of the fact that I got way more alarms than they do the whole time. So Chief Lindsay, great chief, um, she had this rule where if we got a pool alarm, no matter what, we called the bridge. Because if we didn't call the bridge, they would use us as a filter, you know. So, okay. So I called the bridge every single time I got a pool alarm, which was what I was actually legally required to do. Because that's what it said in the in the um, standing, standing orders. orders. In chief standing orders. Um, but you'd be surprised how many people didn't follow them. Well, you probably wouldn't because that's a pesky thing. So one day, you know, we're going through rough waters and I called the bridge 27 times <laughs> because I got 27 pool alarms and they got really mad about that. So the next day my boss, Scott, comes down to the control room and he goes, Garrett, did you call the bridge 27 times yesterday for pool alarms? <laughs> and I go, yeah, I did. He goes, why would you do that? I looked at him and I said, because I got 27 pool alarms. And he just kind of like looked off at the distance for a second. He said, okay, keep doing what you're doing, bud. And, and he walked away. And so I was like, okay, cool. So the, the next night, same conditions. It's just like pool alarm, pool alarm, calling the bridge, calling the bridge. And then the first mate gets on the phone. Uh, or, and I forget which mate. First mate, I want to say. And he goes, hey, it was blue. He goes, hey, did you talk to Scott Haynes this morning? I was like, yeah, I did. And he goes, about the pool alarms? I said, yeah, I talked to Scott about the pool alarms. He goes, what'd he tell you? I said, he told me to keep doing what I was doing. And the voice on the other line of the phone says, oh, he did. He did, did he? Because they complained to Scott and he said I'd handle it. And I threw him under the bus accidentally. Sorry, Scott. You're good first. But yeah, it, it, look, if you want to take a cruise and you think you want your officers to be very professional people who are doing their jobs and you want the company to be the type of company that's first and foremost thinking about the safety of the ship, just understand that that's not what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what company you go with. No, because they're all in it for profit. Profit, which makes the silly design decisions. Yep. Charlie, do you have an example of a silly design decision? Oh, Jesus. I feel like I, I told the story. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, that, like, that entire ship was just designed so poorly for long-term maintenance. Mm -hmm. Did you ever pull, pull a turbo? Yeah. <laughs> on, on engines two or three? No. We, actually, it might have been... Which is the one that immediately had an exhaust valve shatter and it went through the turbocharger, like a brand new turbocharger with less than 20 That was three. Hours. That was the problem engine. Yeah, that was... I have pictures of that. It looked like Swiss cheese turbocharger blades. These turbochargers cost upwards of what anybody listening to this podcast realistically would make within a year. More than I would make in a year. More than most... Yeah. More than anybody I know would make in a year. Yeah. They cost like a quarter million dollars. We'll, we'll just say that. For for a refurbished one, I'm I'm pretty sure the new ones were a half mil. Yeah, 
funny enough, Aaron used to work for ABB Turbos. Yeah. 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 The, um, but yeah, why'd you, why'd you bring these up? Oh, pulling the turbos? Because mm-hmm. the, there were, there were no, there were no lift points to pull the turbo out. Oh. So, like, I mean, what we were doing was just straight up dangerous, but it was the only way to get the turbo out was like, you would lift it from this point and lift it from this point, and you'd have like three chain falls on this. I mean, this thing weighs, do you remember how much they weighed? More than anybody could lift. I mean, they're, they weigh about as much as a car. I feel confident saying they weigh as much as a small car. I think they're like a ton and a half, like 3,000 pounds. Yeah. And... Very delicate, also. Like, if you bend one of the blades, like, if one of the blades impacts the surface too hard, you've destroyed it. It's just done. Nothing to be done. It has to be sent back to the factory. But there were no lift points to get these things out of the engines, so we would have to use multiple chain falls to, like, walk it over, and then you'd be like, okay, pull that one up a little bit and drop this one down, and it would take two or three hours just to lift the turbo out of the engine and get it out and into a position where we could lift it out of the engine room. It was ridiculous. It took forever. And like the, the sewage system, the primary treatment plant was almost all the way forward, but the holding the mixing tank for the system was almost all the way aft. <laughs> and, and uh, I mean, there, there's the chiller system was set up pretty poorly. I didn't know too much about the flaws about the chiller system. Other than a lot of the fittings, like about the salt water over there, were dumb because they were the Chicago fittings. Mm-hmm. And those were like the only Chicago fittings that we had. Yeah. But other than that. Yeah. The um, actually now that you mentioned the turbo thing, I'm surprised those engines weren't like rotated a whole hundred eighty degrees. The turbo should have been on the side of the engine that's closer to the platform, the two and a half deck. Yeah, that would have worked. Well, I don't know. I mean, they're just you really had to like. The engine room just needed another, like, 10 feet in height. If you had another 10 feet in height and you had three engines forward and three engines aft, you would have had enough space to work on all of them. But we had four engines. Well, they never intended to have the, yeah, that whole I, I'm, yeah, we could part talk, of the engine room. We could talk about this ship for so long. Well, we can. Um, the... The funny thing about that part of the engine room is what I'll say is the ship sank while it was being built. It sank in shipyard. And actually our manual for watch standers, you want another one? We can have yeah. another one. Yeah. Right, I'll even, I have this new feature where I can hit this and it'll mark it. There we go, mark. So now on my playlist later when I come to do that, it'll, um, it'll show me the, the flag. Yeah, we shall see. We're back. Probably from those advertisements. Yeah. That I don't have. Did you mark it? <laughs> I marked it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So we're good. 
I'll be able to easily edit it later. It's good to practice the editing skills because yeah. it's like the one-man show thing. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have an editor yet. No, I don't think I need one. I won't need anything unless I want to. I don't even want to do video, so I don't think I'll need anything. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe if you have 30,000 subscribers, you'll need that. <laughs> I already have 30,000 subscribers. My 15 subscribers don't know I don't. <laughs> they don't know how many subscribers I have. The... Actually, which, which got me into something I wanted to think about. So, when we're talking about the technicalities of being on a ship, I was grabbing myself another refreshment as you cheers 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 if you see people in the back or hear people in the background it's probably charlie's family he's now a proud married family man with yeah. a daughter mm -hmm. 15 month old little little monster as we like to call her she seems very well behaved i have another friend who's who's got a daughter that is just keeping him awake <laughs> well I mean, um, we've done that. We've played that game. Yeah. The, um... Wow, I think you have some weird jumping squirrel in your backyard. I saw something jump off a tree branch back there. We've got some squirrels. This is, this is my little oasis back here. It's nice. Yeah, with these giant bushes I have. Now we're completely off topic. We're talking oh, about okay. my backyard. Or whatever. Yeah. No, you should be proud of your backyard. It's, Especially it's if, you, if you take a little bit of time gardening, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, which I know you do. Yeah. Got to start planning for the season. If you're out there, highly recommend growing some food. Yep. It'll be important when the fog comes. The, um, one of the other interesting things about shipping is we had alluded to some of our friends that we had talked about is you get people from all different walks of life from all different parts of the country, from all different political persuasions. Yeah. And I do think it does help you be a little bit more, I wouldn't say centered or even grounded with this open-minded. Yeah, I would yeah. say open-minded. Cause mm -hmm. I mean, if anything, my political persuasions have gotten stronger to, to my current direction <laughs> as I've been sailing. Um, uh, but I mean, I, I, we, work with people who have like have practically been maybe not at January 6th but almost directly adjacent to it and no then, you had a good you had a good term was it like Fox News brainwashed yeah 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 mm -hmm. like to the to the max which isn't let me tell you brainwashing exists on all sides it's it's kind of obvious Fox News does a particular thing with old people I'm sure we don't have to but what is interesting is that you learn how to just like work with and be friends with people with entirely different political stripes mm -hmm. than you and it's kind of a universal thing in the, the sailing world most most people are like well I guess we don't agree politically but we just won't talk about those things because I need to put up with you for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next three months. And my life depends on your life, on you doing your job, and your life depends on me doing my job. So it really, it's a bonding, very bonding thing. Mm -hmm. the, de the dependence without an option. We used to have a lot of weird conversations on Nightwatch, and Jeff and I. Oh, I'm sure. But all the seconds had a lot of weird conversations. Yeah. Oh, you are weird and interesting in your own ways. 
Mm -hmm. And now some of you are first engineers. Shout out to Paul and Dante if they ever listen. They're fun. They're fun people. Yeah. I like both of them. And I'll have my first license soon. I should have had it years ago, but I'm lazy. Are you getting any time on your first during ROS? No, I won't. Well, Well, you're just starting on ROS career, right? So. Yeah, I'll get get the, like... Half of your sailing days can be ROS time. I'm very close to having my first license, but I need to go to sea. I have I too mean, many ROS. They're, if they're, I do like one good activation, one 90-day contract, I'll have it. They're talking about it. We'll see what happens. The, um... Yeah. You were already a sailor when you met Andrea, right? No, I was in school. Oh, that's right. You went yeah. to... SUNY. How did you meet? She was in New York for a study abroad program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that it? It's a cute story. You don't yeah. want to tell it? Oh, we met at Webster Hall for anyone from New York, which is a super trashy, like, uh, 19 and up club in New York City. <laughs> It's not even 21. No. It's not no. even 18. <laughs> no, it's 19. 19 no. and up. Gotta get rid of all the 18-year-olds. So how was it doing the maritime life and successfully uh, developing a relationship? It has its challenges. It takes the right people. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's uh, definitely not for everyone. I feel like I need to ask Andrea questions about this. Yeah. <laughs> How it was with yeah. I mean, that would be probably better questions for her. Andrea, you want to come here for a sec? You want to do a celeb shot? Let me get her peas ready first. Okay. Andrea has to take care of a baby. But <laughs> maybe an interview for another time. It could it could happen. The, the sailing life. We'll see if it comes back. The um Yeah, you do a lot of weird and one of the one of the things that I guess I'll rant a little bit about the cruise ship is that most all the piping was made out of black steel. Oh, God. And that's like... Guess what? Copper nickel. Navy standard. Everything's copper nickel. Oh, on the so, Bob Hope? That's good. Yeah. 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 So, so it's a little bit more depth. Uh, Garrett will soon be joining me on the ship I work on currently, which is the Bob Hope. Unless somebody has a better card that they want to throw in. I, I mean, do not think you're going to have a whole lot of competition for this job. But I don't maybe think you so will. Either. I don't yeah. know. Who knows? Can't, that's the beauty of being in a union. They can't, like, pick me. They can pick me. Like, I know when the job's going to be called because Charlie's my friend and we want to work together again. But yep. if somebody's in the hall with a stronger card than me, then they can have a job, you know? So that's one of the cool things about being in a union. There is a little chaos with it, but also at the same time, it's like respectable. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, what were we talking about the thing? That the Bob Hope is mostly copper nickel piping. Oh, it's nice. pretty amazing. Yeah. Copper nickel in systems that actually shouldn't be copper nickel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's the opposite: black steel in systems that really shouldn't be black steel. Yeah. Like the fire main <laughs> or any of the salt, anything with salt water moving through. Yeah. Which, just so people know, is like black steel is not corrosion resistant in the slightest, and salt water is extremely corrosive. 
to a massive degree. Especially at super high flow rates. Yes. Like... Or especially when it's next to a dissimilar metal, like the titanium and the plate coolers. Yeah, the titanium plate coolers, plus the high flow rates, plus the black steel. They, yeah, we were we were brought through Schedule 80 spool pieces in um, six months. Like a couple months. Yeah. Like, yeah. Six months. It just felt like it was happening all the time because of there were a lot of the, these spool pieces. It was a yeah. constant. It was a constant battle. Well, I mean, there were there were two for each engine, plus other ones because there were little ones. Yeah. The um, but the point is like, and this is kind of like an issue with business is when the ship was built, some bean counter. By that I mean an accountant of some sort said, "Hey, instead of using copper nickel, which is the standard, we'll just use black steel. It'll be cheaper." And then his boss said, "You know what?" A raise for you. That's a great idea. <laughs> and he said, thank you, boss. And then, two years later, he went on to do something else in some other industry. Meanwhile, the consequences of his decision hadn't come to fruition yet. And now you get 10 years down the line, and you're spending more in man hours just fixing the holes in the pipe, which is also dangerous to have these random leaks happening in the engine room at all times, you know, um, than it would have been to originally build the ship out of copper nickel mm -hmm. or these pipes out of copper nickel and i don't know what to say about more about that but all i'll say is like don't take short-term profitability solutions for the long-term life of the ship and it's an interesting thing that i've only seen on that ship i haven't seen that on the container ships i haven't seen that on the um ros ships yeah. that was like a that ship thing yeah uh, I mean, they, they really cut some corners in the construction of that vessel. But uh, like how the switchboards aren't sealed from underneath. Uh, that, that is a, another problem entirely. That was the most dangerous job I've ever done in my whole career. Were you working on that sewage leak that ran under the port switchboard room? No, I never had to deal with that. I didn't know which second was. It was White Charlie and I, Charlie Gallagher. Sorry, I won't explain that one. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Gallagher and I were working on this pipe that. So here's the as I aforementioned the black steel pipes. Um, the black steel pipes would constantly rot out, and it was high pressure, so it would just spray salt water places. Okay. Well, that was actually part of the sewage system, so it wasn't as high of a pressure or as big of a deal because that was the outflow, but. Another corner they caught is when they were making these switchboards, these electrical switchboards, they were like, oh, you know, it's not like we need to seal the switchboards from underneath for worker safety. So if you were in underneath the switchboards in the bilge, the switchboards were exposed underneath. Like if you're working on the pipe in the bilge and you stand up, you're going to stick your head into an 11,000 volt bus bar. So just the location in and of itself is dangerous just to be down there. But not only that, you have this pipe that at any point could spray sewage straight into this bus bar if, for some reason, the valves, which haven't been replaced in 15 years, don't hold when, <laughs> when you open up the pipe. So what we did is we took proper safety precautions and we put trash bags over the pipe before we opened it up just to make sure that the sewage would be deflected down into the bilge and not 
goes straight into the 11,000 volt switchboard straight above our heads. I remember at the time, Chief Lindsay was like, you know, if you don't feel unsafe, you can't tell me. I was like, not trying to, you know, get anything against me, which is funny because later on it became like an issue. But at the time, I was like, oh, okay, Chief. So, you know, we ended up working on that sewage system, which, yeah. yes, lots of corners cut in lots of bad places. Yeah, that, I mean, that was just, that was a really, like, a short end of the stick for everyone on that one. Well, there was, right before I left, a similar issue. We had uh, Jimmy, you remember Jimmy? Yeah. He found a leak, was spraying on the underside of the deck plate in the aft pump room. Yeah, yep, I yep. was there for that one. Yeah, and if that leak had happened 30 feet down the line, it would have sprayed salt water directly onto the underside of an 11,000-volt switchboard again, which people were saying at the time was like, oh, well, you know, the circuit breaker would have tripped or this and that would have happened. And listen, you know what? When you're talking about that much energy, I don't think you can really say for sure what's going to happen. But I know I don't want to be in the room yeah. when it happens. And at a you minimum, know? it would have destroyed the equipment. Yeah. Which would have taken out half That's like of, the best case scenario. Yeah, it would have yeah. taken out half the propulsion equipment on the ship. So, poor design. High voltage and uh, saltwater lines should not be in the same space. There are just some well, things you shouldn't cut corners on. Yeah. Yeah. Like 480 stuff? Yeah, sure, whatever. You but, say uh, that. Your which, house is wired for 120, unless you're in Europe, in which case it's 220 or 240, yeah. depending on how you're met. But, you know, 480 is Well, still... they've got two... Uh, I mean, Europe's complicated. They've got 2850 hertz. 50 hertz? I didn't know that the hertz was different. Yeah, yeah. it's 2850 hertz over there. And, like, we've got 240, 60 hertz for big for stuff. For washing machines and stuff. Well, my oven's 240, so I've oh. got a 240 line that runs through my house. Do you have an electric oven? Or a, or yeah. A, I have a gas stove at our house, and when mm -hmm. we saw people getting mad at the gas stoves, we were like, well, we're not paying to retrofit this shit, that's for gas sure. Gas stoves are better. They are, because you can take the pan off the burner a little bit to do things, and it's still, like, getting heat from the mm -hmm. flame. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as you take the pan off the burner a little bit on an electric stove, it, like is non-existent yeah the heat goes away yeah. and it, it and at the end of the day it's thermally more efficient to use gas like you have you have 100 percent. well you have 100 percent uh uh heating application so okay let's say you take that gas mm -hmm. and for my electric stove you make gas you use the most efficient gas power plant in the world, which would be, I think it's about 64%. So it's a gas turbine with a regenerative uh, heat. Oh, you on, mean to produce the electricity yeah, for the Yeah, to make city. the electricity. So uh -huh. off the bat, you're 36% less efficient than having gas in your house. Mm. Then from that power plant, you have your line, your transformer loss, so 1%. Mm -hmm. And then your line losses, which I, I don't even know. Are significant, one. we'll say. They're yeah. significant. They're significant, which means I think it's 1% to 2%. I would say at least. 
I could say yeah. it was that. My um, guess was going to be another Another Transformer loss, and then whatever other losses you have in the system. So from the most efficient power plant in the world, burning mm -hmm. the same gas, you're getting half of the work out of it. That is, of course, assuming that you're so on a natural you just gas plant. doubled your carbon production by, by saying you need to put an electric stove here. Now, I mean, if you completely decarbonize the grid, that's another situation entirely. And we like, were just at a dam, a hydroelectric yeah, dam. We today. were at a pretty cool hydroelectric dam. Yep, it was cool. And let me tell you, they 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 say like in total, ninety eight percent of the fish that go through that dam go through safely. So you should. It was more than that actually, because that's only... if they go. Well, that sorry, that go through the turbine itself. And yeah. most of the fish don't even go through the turbine. They said between five and ten percent actually go through the turbine. Yeah. They have other things to and 90 98 percent of them make it through the turbine which is pretty incredible but well I we mean, were talking those, about it's a slow speed yeah those know. turbine blades are like the size of the room we're sitting in they're yeah significant it was a cool tour but the point is like hydro yeah if you're getting your electricity from hydroelectric sure you know electric is better yeah. but if you've got a coal power plant down the street gas is more efficient gas is more carbon neutral Mm -hmm. yeah. or even a natural gas plant because it's better to just pipe the natural gas straight into your yeah. oven you as, know, long as, you have as long as you have proper ventilation yeah because that's what they were talking about The, but I feel like I think that's the actual thing it's like they should be like okay you can have a gas stove but our codes have been updated that you have direct ventilation above it Hey, listen, I don't think the government should be telling me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand you know. that, but, like, mm -hmm. some... It's for the, like, it, some people, like... I think there should be a public service announcement. They should make it known that it's not good for your kids. Yeah. They should make it known. Should and if they... you're renting mm -hmm. a place to somebody, you shouldn't be able to rent that place with that. I could be down with that. Yeah. I could be down with that. Or, you know, you should at least have to, like, you know, what was that prop? Everybody makes fun of California for making this rule, but I actually like this rule where it says, oh, this product is known to have some chemical in it that can, that can cause you cancer. I, I know a lot of people laugh about that rule, but it's, it's honestly, like, wouldn't you want to know? And so I think it's similar where if you're a renter and you're going to rent a house out, wouldn't you want to know for a fact that the paint is lead or that, you know, your stove is making poisonous gases and yeah. not properly ventilated. Yeah. I could say, I could say maybe like, okay, there's not a rule where like you can't rent it out, but you at least have to inform the renter, you know, of the issue. Yeah. But then you kind of get to like this whole like income threshold thing where it's, hmm. it's just going to be the people that can't afford to rent the nice places are just breathing carbon monoxide all the time well they can do whatever they want to mitigate their own exposure but like the person who owns the property should have to inform at the bare minimum oh who's yeah. Renting. yeah 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 <laughs> it's not a political podcast this is a podcast about boats which How all the stoves on board the ship were electric come to think of it right it's not like we carried natural gas on board. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they were. You know, so they all had to be electric. 
Yeah, but they, I mean, they had some pretty fancy, fancy mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, nice electric stuff. Plus, I mean, like, if you're a professional chef, you probably learn to keep your pans on the stove, you know. It's probably a minor inconvenience. I don't know. For, maybe they had, like, heated skillets or something. I, I, I have no idea. They had some fancy stuff in those kitchens. Well, I was trying to be an electrician on board, uh, and that's a real thing. As far as the union goes, they should actually get on them for because Chief Cohen was like, "Oh no, technically they don't have to put the they don't have to hire from the union first because they don't want to hire union members to do the electrician job on that shit." Yeah, because they know. keep moving there's, on. There's some pretty. But I talked to the union. If you ask the union, they do. You know, and I think Chief Cohen is talking. I believe he's talking to the best of his knowledge. But they have to go to, they have to post the job to the hall before they try and source it externally, and they're not. They're doing not doing that. that. And even then, you'd have to like, if you really want to get on them, you'd have to be like, well, why don't you think our guys are qualified? Because they are, they are fucking qualified. They just want to get somebody who's going to stay there. And the way you get people to stay there is you hire outside of the union people who can't make more money anywhere else. Because mm-hmm. a lot of our union members could make more money somewhere else. Anywhere. You know why? Because they're fucking union members. Yeah, I'm about to make more. I'm about to make more money than I was over there doing a much easier job. A much easier job. You are working technically... Working almost half the hours. Yeah. You are you know. technically working the full year. Oh, that is true. Yeah. Where they're No, but you... I'm enthusiastic to make the trade off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you are too, which is why we're both about to be shipmates again. Yeah. 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 I mean <laughs> I I I worked for a certain company for a few years or just over a year and then I went back to shipping because being a union member means like Fucking real money, real benefits. And even our union, we we do have a particularly strong union. I do personally believe, and many of you union members can say whatever, I think we should be more ballsy about threatening to strike. Yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It would be nice to... I think... Well, I won't get I won't get too big into union politics right now, but I, I I do think we could do better in our union. We could do a Labor Day, uh, Labor Day, Labor Day stuff. podcast. Yeah. Well, I don't want to like criticize. Our union is good. We have a good union. We could be doing. Oh, better. I don't want to criticize. I I am I I have had good experiences within our union for the most part. There's a couple of things here and there that I've had issues. There's with, something but. to be said that like throughout time, our actual rates have been moving down. Like, you had people making close to our salaries in the 80s, which is a significant difference. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I, I, I believe our union should hire some professional negotiators. And I know there's reasons they're opposed to it. Well, we'll talk. Well, we're already here. So, sometimes the companies come out and they'll bring negotiators. And these negotiators aren't used to the specifics about sailing, you know? So they'll end up shooting the company in the first foot. I was on a, I was in a negotiation party on our on our company where their negotiation, the company's negotiator, like really fucked up. But um, I need to. I'm gonna mark this so I remember to mark this episode as explicit. <laughs> there we go. Mark two. Um, 
And so I remember our, our union, op, our patrolman was saying, this is why it's a bad idea to bring in professional negotiators. And I was like, well, each company, their head office probably has a negotiator who's not used to dealing with the sailors on the union side. Mm -hmm. But if the union hired a negotiating firm, we would make a relationship with that firm. And so they know the contracts, they know what we do, and we would use the same firm for every negotiation. Whereas each company has to hire a different oh, person. That's a good point. You know, for each thing. And I'm not saying to, because I know a lot of the patrolmans are kind of like a little bit, the patrolmans and the VPs, they take it a little bit personally, you know, because they're the ones who are negotiating on contracts right now. Yeah. I'm not saying take them off the team, leave them on the team. Absolutely. I just want to bring it. Yeah, leave them on the team. We, our union should just get a negotiation firm, like develop a relationship with this firm so that they're working with us on like every single contract and every single company is responsible for their own thing. So we'll, we'll have them be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that, I mean, that could, maybe it wouldn't turn into an arms race, but I could see that not with, not they already with, hire professional negotiators. They're right. bad at it, but yeah. they already do. That's the whole point. Cause their negotiator fucked up during the APL contract, yeah. which is why that's like the example of, Oh, this is why we don't hire professional negotiators, but it's cause they're not developing a relationship with these negotiators. They're just using them as one offs, you know, hmm. what did they fuck up? We were negotiating for something trivial. I wish I could remember what, and the negotiator was like, they don't get, it was something, it was dumb, like paid when they're in port or something. He was like, just give it to them. It's pennies on the dollar or something. Because for the company it was. And the negotiator was like, just give it to them. <laughs> and it really came out to be quite a bit. No, I mean, it was... The problem is the people you're negotiating against, like, for honestly, for the company, it's, it's small pennies. It, it really is. It I... really is. Yeah. You know, it's just like... I mean, I think for APL, yeah. Because APL, well, well, no, APL's owned by CMGA? CMA, CGM. Yeah. Yeah, so it is mm. It is pennies to them because they're amassing a shipping conglomerate. But if you're talking about a company like Matson, And actually, I've been reading a good book called, and I actually, this is something I want to do for the podcast is maybe do book reviews occasionally. It's called Break Em Up, which is a whole book about monopolization, and it's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. One of the things they talk about, a lot of the times unions don't fight monopolization as hard as they should because they just say, like, oh, if you do this, uh, if we approve your merger or whatever, if we promise not to fight your merger, we'll get better terms during the next contract. And then you get better terms during the next contract. And then the contract after that... You get fucked. Yeah. Yeah. That's the short story of that book. But as as a whole, I don't know, the APL joining CMA, CGM was before my time as a union member, but... Um, I mean, it's bad, been bad for APL. Well, yeah, but it doesn't matter if it's bad for APL. Yeah. It matters if it's good for CMA, CGM. Yeah. You know, as but, a whole, that, that was, that was, that was a decision that should have never happened for American shipping. Well, and here's the thing. Unions actually have authority over this. Unions, they don't have authority. We can choose to try to use our muscle to block these types of mergers, and we mm -hmm. should. That's the argument of the book, is that it, there's a whole chapter about unionization, and unions in general, it's not just in our industry, but in plenty of the time, unions are kind of blind 
two mergers. You know, we shouldn't allow them to happen because well, it's they're, a, you they're know. generally bad. Because if a union, say you've got ten companies and one company is like just shit to negotiate with, always cutting corners, the union can be like, guess what? You don't employ our members anymore. Go fuck yourself. And they go off somewhere else mm-hmm. and to some other union or they do private contract or something. But that union's got nine other companies that those union members who are qualified employees are working for. Mm-hmm. So the productivity of that company that was being shitty to the union drops. They become less profitable because they don't have qualified employees. And it, it's it's like capitalism at its purest form all of a sudden where like they're just gonna like they'll go bankrupt because they weren't willing to pay their employees yeah i would like to think that i think unfortunately those decisions are like time space removed from each other in a sense that you know we just saw it with the railroads the railroads have a big mess up shout out to my ohio people careful with your drinking water um yeah and the union was fighting that but the i think the time period between making those decisions and the actual consequences of those decisions are too long for companies to see, yeah, you know, to feel because yeah. they're we're we're feeling decisions that were made in the Carter Reagan era today, where the the D or that was Reagan. That was a Reagan era decision, right? Well, I don't I don't know the what denationalization of the railroads. Where it was a bunch of companies and they were like, okay, you guys can basically do whatever the fuck you want. Mm. And then they've just been merging and merging and merging up into like the mid early 2000s. And now we're seeing the freaking fallout of it, which is like, Mm -hmm. there's been very limited oversight because it was, they were gifted literally gifted the railroad lines mm. from the federal government mm. to regulate on their own and there are very r- few few rules i'm sure they knew somebody at the time too which oh, yeah. a big shout out to what france is doing right now do you see they were protesting outside black rock headquarters oh that's good yeah no it's it's awesome big shout out to france that somebody was talking they about... love to burn shit down that's kind of fun oh, they were talking about increasing the pension age in France by, I don't know how, how long, but a certain age to get a pension. And the French people are not having it. because And that's what I've been saying. Like, you have to have strike. You know, you got to yeah. flex your muscles sometimes just to show them you still have it. And that's why the French people get to retire at 62 with full pensions. Yeah. You know, working barely 40 hours a week. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about good union politics. We shared some sea stories. I know we have more sea stories. We have a lot more sea stories. But as of this point, this has been uh, maybe my longest podcast, probably because we have so much shared sailing experience. And yeah. hopefully more shared sailing experience in the future. Yeah. Is there anything you want to tell the people of the internet before before we go? Well, you probably oh, won't you find me balls. on the internet. <laughs> You're not on the internet, Charlie? Yeah. We can't find you. Uh, I mean, you might be able to find me, but like, I'm probably not going to respond because, I don't know, I'm a typical mariner. 
Charlie's not an internet person, but yep. uh, this has been the Heave 2 podcast. As always, you can email me at Garrett, G-A-R-E-T-T, at Heave2, H-E-A-V-E-T-O, podcast.com, and I'll respond to your emails. Nobody's taken me up on it yet, so maybe I'll answer your question even on the show. Take care, everybody. Bye. You want to say bye to the people, Charlie? Yeah, join a union. Bye. Join a union. Nice. Yeah. So, what do you think of that episode? I like Charlie. I like him a lot. He has been a great friend of mine. Um, helped me out a lot when I was a young engineer and just learning the ropes in the maritime industry. And I think he'll be back for another discussion. Like he said at the end of the interview, uh, by all means, join a union. Speaking of unions, there's a lot of protests going on in France. And I would just like to point out that the reason most French um, government employees have such good benefits and not just government employees, but private sector, is because they strike. So uh, definitely if you work somewhere that has anti-union propaganda, uh, do a little research and do a little bit of your own work. So as always, uh, if you could please like, subscribe, rate, share the podcast, it'd help me out a lot. But, you know, I just do this for fun, but it would still help. Uh, my email address is Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, at Heave2, H-E-A-V-E-T-O, podcast.com. That's Garrett at Heave2podcast.com, and I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, I'll uh, either answer them on this show or in the in an email, but I will get back to you no matter what. So um, just like the last time, and I'd like to continue to do this, I'd like to have a little gratitude section to encourage uh, a little gratitude in, in my listeners as well. So um, I'll just share my practice with you. So today I am grateful for uh, the cherry blossoms that we have blooming here in Portland, Oregon. They're very prolific. Uh, I woke up with a little kink in my neck, so I am grateful for Tiger Balm. I always have a little bit on me. I discovered it in Thailand. It's really good stuff. You can get it at your local... Um, pharmacy probably and it's really it's really cheap too it works so i recommend it and then the third thing i am grateful for is the local portland bit devs group those are a bunch of developers who work on bitcoin and they're really friendly they're really nice really friendly i just met up with them last night we had a good time and um so i will add them to the list so like always thank you very much for listening hope you have a great day week month year and I'll catch you next time. Bye.